Guys, we're so excited to be here today with David Marvin. David is the director of Young Adults at The Porch, and we're excited to have you on. I got to ask you, uh, Spotify Wrapped just came out. Are you a Spotify guy? Oh, for sure, Spotify. Okay, can you give us like your top, um, hey, this is my top artist, top song, anything? Man, this is how you know you're a dad. Our top songs included Power Rangers theme song, Frozen from Elsa, uh in fact i have it was a justin bieber was one of them um yeah shane and shane holy and uh let it go yeah we got we got maverick city on there um it was not impressive most of them are, are directly related to our kids yeah but yeah we're all about spotify man and, and pumped to be on here with y'all glad to glad to see that bieber made the cut though so Love He's it. out there. He made it. I love it. So y'all just wrapped up your last porch of uh, the year, right? This last Tuesday. Can right. you tell us, you know, we got a lot of young adult fans. A lot of our people, they, they you know, they listen to you all the time. I was actually in our uh, hallway the other day. I heard one of our uh, residents here listening to you on, uh, on, our, on our phone. So, I mean, wow. what was the coolest thing that happened this semester at the porch? Man, I think the coolest thing that continues that so i'll give you an event that was awesome but mainly the the thing that always amazes me so the porch is in dallas texas for anyone um listening that uh may not know or for everyone who doesn't know and is a gathering on tuesday nights of young and old a few thousand here and then we've got locations around the country and i'm always amazed every tuesday i look around and i'm like who who are these people that god continues to bring that have many of them moved from other states or other cities and people that were invited by friends that didn't know Jesus, that came to know Jesus, just the way that God is continuing to reach people far from him is astounding. And so I think that's always the coolest thing. And candidly, the thing that I'm like, it's just, it's just amazing. And then I think the uh, funnest, maybe one of the more fun things of the semester was Awaken Conference that we held here where young adults from every state in the country except Vermont, thanks Bernie, was uh, in Dallas and came and it just was, it was really sweet and fun to get to worship with God's people that he is all over the country. And, uh, and so that was really, really cool and really sweet. Man, that's awesome. Uh, Jared's gonna start off and, and asking some questions here. Uh, you, you're an author, you got a book out there. And so Jared's gonna hit us with a question. Yeah, here. David, you just wrote, I'll show this for everybody who's on here. You just wrote a book called, We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To. Uh, and this is about anxiety. Um, yeah. Tell me, like, how, how do you get to the place where you wrote the book on anxiety? I mean, the first the first chapter is about your your one of your first struggles with anxiety. Yeah. Like, you get to the point of like, man, I'm, I don't know what to do with anxiety to like, this is how you have success and victory. In yeah. That yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I never really had a plan of writing a book. I wasn't uh, some people. God has clearly given them a vision and passion for it and a clear path to do that. I never had that sense and it wasn't opposed to it. I just wasn't on my bucket list of things to do. And a publisher had reached out and asked, would you be interested in writing a book? And so prayed about it and was like, man, I, um, I'm honored, but I don't think so right now. And then they came back and said, would you consider writing something on anxiety? It, it seems to be a passion point of yours. Hmm. And my wife is a counselor. She primarily works with clients or people who struggle with anxiety. And over the past 10 years teaching at the porch, the spike in anxiety is just skyrocketed. It went from an issue that we cover 
every so often to something that we cover every year all the time because young adults are battling through it. What do I do with mental health, depression, anxiety? And then a pandemic hit that didn't help and or only made it worse. But I started working on it before. So basically they pitched that idea and my wife and I prayed about it and just came to the place of if we could create a resource that connected the dots on what the Bible actually teaches, because a lot of people in my experience don't actually know, then we would be willing to do that. So that put us on a journey of working through and creating a book on anxiety. And it's just a first line of defense. It's not the last line. It's not anti-counseling. It's not anti-medication. It's not anti-any of that stuff. But it is, here's what the Bible actually teaches and what it looks like to use God's principles to combat anxiety and to experience peace. Because as Christians, we never outgrow God's word. And so that's the heart of the book and really kind of the quick story behind it. And, um, and so fleshing out what does the Bible actually teach about battling anxiety? Yeah, you, you included uh, when I, I'm, I'm listening to the audio book. So I feel like I've, I've already spent so much time with you now. So oh, yeah, audio book people go for it. It's good. Uh, cool. And so uh, you, you mentioned in how high schoolers today are actually like the, the anxiety levels comparing to like people 40 years ago that like the average high schooler, right, is as anxious yeah. today as like the most anxious people of 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, and then I think one of the things that stuck out to me the most in the book uh, is that you said anxiety and fear or uh, faith and anxiety grow in the same soil. And that's yeah. uncertainty. Will you unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's that idea of you can't have fear and faith without the same, they both require the same thing to exist, which is like you said, it's uncertainty. In other words, it's only in the unknown that our faith can grow because we have to act on, hey, I don't know everything that God's going to do, but I'm still going to trust him and move forward and face the unknown. And so the same soil that anxiety grows in, which is uncertainty, what if the unknown is also the same soil that our faith grows in. And so that really is in the beginning of the book to help set the table for this is how God grows our faith in the same soil of uncertainty that usually people grow anxiety. But yeah, I use the idea of it's like in my lawn, I've got weeds and grass and just talk about that idea of some of them you want and which is the grass. You want grass to grow. You don't want weeds to grow. And they both grow in the same soil. And God's word gives us some of the tools to cultivate. How do we grow grass or grow our faith and remove the weeds? Because anxiety, like weeds, will choke out your faith. The original or a word uh, for worry or the word that we get the English word worry from is a German word, word that means to strangle or to choke out. And so just like weeds choke out grass, so fear chokes out our faith. But there are ways that God has given us to combat anxiety so that we can see in the soil of uncertainty, our faith grow where fear often grows. There's a lot that you would probably have to say to someone who's like struggling with anxiety in the moment. But if somebody's like, man, I've never talked to somebody about my problem with anxiety. What's like the first step? What's the first thing to do? What's in that, you know, emergency kit of what to do if you're struggling with anxiety right now? Yeah, I think you got to chase down what you're actually anxious about. And I think there's a lot of ways you can do that. But we, we tend to have anxious feelings and thoughts that we never actually chase down and either play out and go like, well, let's play out the what if and chase it down and then address it with what God's word would actually say about it. Or 
we think that we know that we're anxious about something, but we don't actually chase down, oh, underneath, I'm anxious about losing my job. And we never actually go further and go ask the question, well, why? Well, because if I lose my job, then I can't afford to pay rent. Okay, what happens if you can't afford to pay rent? Well, then I'd have to move back in with my parents. What happens if you have to move in with your parents? Well, I would feel like I'm a failure. Oh, you're anxious about being seen as a failure because you believe that the definition of a failure, and nobody would ever put it this way, but when you chase it down, you believe that a failure is someone who lives with their parents, which is a lie. It's not true. In order to combat our anxiety, though, you got to chase down what are at the roots that are informing that anxiety. So I would do that. Or the what if. I, I think there's power, and this sounds almost crazy, but I think when you play out the what if, you're able to isolate the specific thing that you're anxious about or you're afraid of, which doesn't make it go away, but it does allow you to address it by isolating it. So by that, I mean, what if you lose your job? What if you're single for forever? What if my wife dies of cancer? Answer the question. Usually we, we try to dismiss or just act like, oh, that was a weird thought. Don't think about that. But I would encourage somebody to play it out, answer the question and face that fear and then reinforce it with God's word. What if my wife dies of cancer? Well, that would be horrible. I answer it. It would be terrible. It'd be the hardest thing I could experience. But God, and then I bring God's truth into the equation. God would sustain me through that. He's promised he's near to the brokenhearted. He would meet me there and allow me to walk through it. God would get me through it. He's promised that he'll never leave nor forsake me and that he will strengthen me in the time of need. And so answering the what if, it doesn't make it go away, but it diminishes some of the power that that vague, anxious feeling plays off of because we never actually get to the root of what our anxious fears and feelings are. Yeah, and in the book, I don't want to give too much of it away because I want people to go, go get it. But you talk about uh, the story of the father who's like, what if I can't pay for my kid's uh, college, you know, education? I was like, man, I can relate to that. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I thought that was good because you like played out the what if scenario. And I think that really helps. And anxiety is something that as we, uh, you know, lead young adults here, it's like, man, it, it is a huge issue. And I think we felt that personally in our own lives too. Um, and when we, you know, get to know what's really going on with our people, whether we're praying over our team members or we're you know, hearing what the audience is going through and things. Uh, why do you think anxiety, you know, and even going back to the anxiety that like a high schooler is feeling today, um, you know, a college student, um, uh, someone in their, their post-grad years, someone who's got their first job, why are we more anxious right now? What do you think? Why do you think we're more anxious of a generation now and generations now than ever before? Yeah, I think some of it is... Uh, the stage of life that young adults are in naturally is more susceptible to anxious feelings, thoughts, fears, because so much of the certainty of their life um, is no longer there. In other words, prior to that stage, you know, when you're in elementary school, life is pretty mapped out. Finish fourth grade, fifth grade's next. High school, college, freshman year, junior year, and then the tracks of the train kind of run out and you free fall and you're like, what am I supposed to do with my life? So I think that stage of life is unique. And then I think as it relates to um, this generation in particular, because mental health and depressive disorders and anxiety disorders are three times higher in this generation than the one previous. I think that social media is compounding into that or is a huge factor, of course, that's played a role in that. I think that there's a shift in parenting that I don't even talk about in the book that um, 
There's a book written by, what's his name? Jonathan, it's called The Coddling of the American Mind. You guys heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not even written by a Christian, but he basically traces how we have seen such a sharp spike in anxiety disorders, depressive disorders. And some of that's even connected to the way that parents are encouraged to raise their kids and don't play outside, you know, when it's dark outside or don't ever go over to a friend's house or, hey, if you're in the front yard, you know, there needs to be a parent that's out there watching them. And it just heightens all of this anxiety that kids for years and years and years are raised around. And so I think there's probably sociological factors that have really bled into people constantly being confronted with fear. I think we're connected digitally in ways that promote anxiety and we're disconnected relationally in ways that would prevent anxiety in our life of having real authentic, meaningful relationships with people, specifically Christians in our life. Most people don't have that, but I am connected digitally to a thousand people online that just feed comparison, which is related to anxiety. It's like they're cousins where I see something I don't have or a way that I'm not measuring up to other people. When I see the car they drive on Instagram, the vacation they have, and it makes me feel anxious about who I am. So I think there's a lot of different factors in play that are all creating this huge climate and atmosphere of anxiousness and anxiousness and anxiousness and mental health problems. And, um, and the solution that I have there is not, you know, go live in a cave all by yourself, but I think it is to connect more deeply to God's word and to God's people and leverage the tools that he's given us in the Bible to combat when those anxious thoughts and feelings pop up, what we do about it. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I have a follow-up question. Um, you know, you've been in young adult ministry for what, 10, 10 years now? 12. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the easy things to do is to look at the next generation and go, man, they're, they're softer. They have more issues than the last one did. And to kind yeah. of, um, you know, be down on the current, current generation that's younger than you or that's coming up next. What, what would you say are like the things that you're excited about with this generation? Because with each new generation, Yes, it has unique difficulties. It also has unique possibilities and uh, pros as opposed yeah. to the other generations before it. What would you say? Yeah, I think that this one is so fluent on in digital ways that they, uh, you know, young adults for the last 12 years really have been more fluent than the generation above them in technology. And, and, and uh, the shadow side of that is all the stuff I just said of, of the ways that social media, digital connections rob us of real connections. But the positive side of that is they also uh, allow you to be in, a, it's kind of leveled the playing field, if you will, that anybody can become a content creator, anybody can cr create resources. And if you have a generation of people or you have a large number of solid people coming together, they can create really God honoring resources and connect with other God honoring people in a way that prior generations never had the ability to do so. And so you can form relations like what we're doing right now. It's crazy. What we're doing 20 years ago would have shocked people that you can talk through a screen to people and create a podcast that then can get into the ears of people months, weeks, years later, where they can listen and be informed on what God says about anxiety. I mean, that's astounding. And so I think this generation is not having to learn how to use tools like that, they grew up knowing how to use tools like that. And if God gets a hold of their heart, I think it's going to be a force for the gospel and for the spread of the good news, not just of bad news or of, 
uh, fearful news. And so I think there's a lot of exciting things and potentials and possibilities that are also coming out of the fact that all this technological advances. I love that. Um, you know, when I taught, when I, I taught in the elementary world for seven years. And so it was always like this kids these day mentality and it, yeah. or that would start to surface. And I'm like, you know, that's not really true though, because there's been problems in every generation. Yeah. And so I, I love that you're like painting a picture of hope. Uh, we were talking and, and with you before uh, we really started this, this whole thing. And we we're talking about our kids and and whatnot. I, I know we have a lot of guys out there listening who hope to be fathers one day, will be fathers. What would be, uh, it's a two-part question. So what would be like the one thing that you would suggest like, hey, you need to know this before your dad, like prepare for this. And then my second part would be, you know, you've mentioned your wife some, what do you like her as a mother? What is the characteristic she has that is just like, man, that's, that's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, how much time you got? On the second question, <laughs> I could go for a long, long time. On the first one, as it relates to, you know, knowing as it relates to being a father, I don't think there's anything profound other than, as you guys know, like your life is not your own. And you see that very, very clearly when you have kids and that your time is not your own. The uh, unique season that you have if you're single right now is unique. And you're going to utilize whatever foundation that you build and that's not to say that whenever you have kids you can't continue to study deeply god's word but you have a unique season where man if you get up at, at 6 a.m nobody's going to be screaming for you to come you know change the bed or that they need to go to the bathroom or that they're hungry and they want to get up you can spend time uniquely with god and so i would take advantage of that season because not that it's it's uh a horrible time. I mean, kids are the greatest gift of all time, but you're in a unique season and you are laying a foundation that I pull off of the foundation that I built when I was single all the time. My understanding and knowledge of God's word, the books that I've read, all that stuff. And, and I didn't use it perfectly by any means. I wish I would have done only more of that and believed that that is a unique season to greater degrees. But I would leverage the season that you're in right now because you're laying the foundation of the husband you're going to be and the parent that you're going to be. In terms of my wife, I would say the greatest character or one of some of the greatest characteristics as it relates to a mother. Is that the question? Yeah, just like, you, you know, if you're like, hey, this, guys, this is what you, you should be looking for in a wife because this is going to come out as she, you, you know, mothers your children type of deal. Yeah, I think somebody who wants to raise disciples and who wants to be intentional with them. And it's hard to spot that. I guess the best way you can spot it is they have a genuine, real love for Jesus themselves. So they value that so much that they want to be very intentional about how they facilitate an environment that hopefully leads to that in their kids. And I would say my wife does that as well as anybody that I know, that she is so thoughtful as it relates to uh, putting them in environments, teaching them things, walking through scripture and helping them understand and get a vision for who God is and what God says about them. So I know that's almost cliche of like, man, they have a really deep abiding relationship with Jesus, but that has so many dividends that come out in ways that, you know, a hot body or a, you know, great hair, just the dividends are not there. Yeah, that stuff might not be there in, in, in 50 years. Um, or in 10. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, some of us might be losing some hair. Who knows? Um, yeah. 
what would you say is like because because young adulthood is such a you know we talk about it all the time it's it's a season of transition uh there you make some of the most important decisions before you're 30 before you're 25 that you'll ever make like how do you what's your advice when someone's like hey i'm getting ready to go through transition what's your advice to that person as they're getting ready to like hey i've got a decision to make I've got two maybe non-moral. It's not like God's going to say one is right and one is wrong. You've got two job offers. You've got two, two options in front of you. How do you help guide someone through some decisions like that? Yeah, I think the biggest gift that they can have is having wise counselors in their life, having other guys, if they're a guy, other girls, if they're a girl, who are um, biblical or they love the Bible, they know the Bible, they're going to use the Bible. Because I think young adults often get stuck on gray areas and they make uh, they make so much pressure about if I take this job or I take this job and God's less concerned about where you work and how more concerned about how you work, where you work. So having godly people around that can remind you that, man, if you take this, if you open door A, you open door B, this is an issue that's really not uh, a make or break or Bible or not. This is a gray area and it's much more a question of how you're going to walk through that door and who you're going to be on the other side of that door and how you're going to operate. So I think to get wise people in your life is one of the greatest gifts, both of provision and wisdom and protection from sin and accountability. So I would have wise counselors. Hopefully everybody listening is connected to a church or a ministry that has people in their life that can help them both point them in a direction on things that God does clearly speak on and then remind them that, hey, this may be just a gray flip a coin area. And what you do is much, I mean, you have freedom to choose, I guess would be the way to put it. And people to remind them of that in those moments. So having wise counselors in your life would be the greatest gift in terms of navigating those uncharted seasons of life. Yeah. So, you know, this question kind of follows up on the last one is that, uh, you know, one thing we're passionate about here within our ministry is equipping people to do the work of ministry that you know ministry is not this vocational thing only it's for everybody and uh we like it's inspiring to see the porch you know just the way y'all have so many leaders people on your team uh why like why does that matter so much that you serve at a high capacity within the church you know i think the, the question um you are the church if you're a believer. And so God created you with gifts. First Corinthians 12, first Corinthians 14, Romans 12 tells us that God uniquely gave you gifts, Ephesians 4, that he wants to be used to build up not your kingdom, but his. And I think it's a way of breathing out. And I would say just like a human is made to breathe in and breathe out. If you only breathe in, you only breathe in, you only breathe in and you never breathe out, you die. And I think if you don't ever breathe out in terms of serving and using what God has given you in terms of the wiring you have, the story you have, the gifts that you have, then your spiritual life will not grow. It will die because you are made for it. So to anyone that's listening, that's not doing that, I would say you are missing out on experiencing the life God wants you to be and becoming all that God created you to be. And so I think it's, it's a, vital part of spiritual life is vital as breathing in and breathing out is to living. So taking in and learning and growing and giving out and pouring out is to your spiritual life, living and growing. Yeah. So much of that helps with the answer 
the question of the anxiety is if you're if you're walking in what God wants you to do, then those non-moral decisions are like, can I can I honor the kingdom of God? Can I grow the kingdom of God? Can I honor him in this role? It's not so much like which one is God's will for my life. It's like, can I do what God's asked me to do in in these roles? So, David, I guess I guess one of our last questions, I don't know how much time we have left, but what would you say to 20-year-old David Marvin or the 20-year-old that may be listening to this that um, has, a lot of, has a lot of their life ahead of them, has a lot of questions ahead of them? Um, just kind of Joe, young adult, what would you tell them? I would say something I already said, which is, man, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You cannot be too careful about who you run with and who you're surrounded with. I'd move cities if you don't have godly people in your life. I would pick up and I would move because it is... One of the ways God speaks to us, guides, and protects us. I would also say, hey, all the things that seem like such a big deal, they're not as big of a deal as you feel and think that they are. It's a little bit like when we look back at high school right now and we're like, man, that letter jacket was such a huge deal. And you look, or even who I went to the prom or who I went to homecoming, and now you look back and you're like, man, that was so, so funny how worked up I got about that. I think that's true in a, in a large sense for lots of seasons of our life, but particularly young and oldhood, you can choose the right job and you can change. There's very few things in life that you can't undo or change directions in. Those would be who you marry and having kids. You can't undo those. You can always go get another degree. You can always get another job. Like the things that seem so fixed right now that if I don't get this internship, my life is over. It's just a lie. So I would give yourself pressure, work hard, be diligent, fill out applications, and then know that, man, God is at work and he's sovereign. And there's very few things that are going to, if I walk through that door, there's no turning back. It's all over for me. And so I'd hit the pressure release valve. And at the same time, I'd have wise, godly people in your life that is more valuable than any job, more valuable than any car, more valuable than any inheritance you're going to get is wise, godly counselors around you. That's good. Uh, I have to say, Jared was homeschooled, so he didn't have never the, had a Letterman jacket. Oh, man. To all the homeschoolers out there. We always give Jared a hard time about that. Yeah, but, but, no uh, Letterman, man. No letter jacket. Yeah. But I love that you mentioned it uh, again, is that uh, you got to like just take that lie. And that's that's why I'm such a big fan of the book is because you talk about the power of replacing the lie of Satan. He literally came to steal, to kill and destroy your life replacing the lies that he gives you with the truth of God's word. And it's such like a simple practice, but uh, it's so important in our lives. And so, uh, David, we're, we're just super thankful you came on today, gave us some of your time. We know you got a lot going on. And so uh, we just we plug the book again, go, go buy it. And uh, we're actually going to give two copies away. If you're listening to this, uh, go ahead and share it on your social media, tag us, and we're going to be giving away two copies of that. But David, thanks again for joining us today. Thanks so much, guys. So fun to be on here.